Coming up on the Audible, we have a very emotional interview with the father of a player who got in trouble for violence against a woman and is now trying to start his second chance. It's a very interesting conversation. We hope you'll get a lot out of it. And afterward, we'll talk about some of the events going on in college football right now. All that coming up on the Audible. Welcome to the Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. As we're taping this on Monday morning, we have a very interesting guest today, Earl Johnson, his son DeAndre Johnson, who came out of junior college and signed with FAU to play quarterback a couple months ago. Uh, Many of you may remember the name DeAndre Johnson, former blue chip freshman at FSU, but in July of 2015 was dismissed from the program after video emerged of him hitting a woman at a bar. Uh, Johnson later went on Good Morning America to apologize to the woman and subsequently ended up at East Mississippi Community College, a.k.a. Last Chance U. Uh, We're going to get into that story, as Stu alluded to at the top. It's a very emotional interview. Uh, The reason why we wanted to have Earl on is because this issue is not a one-off. It, the violence against women subject comes up often, not just in sports, but certainly it has in, in our little corner of the world in sports. And the case of Joe Mixon, especially in the last year, I think as it escalated as a prime example of that, and where Earl Johnson and DeAndre kind of come into this, is what happened on video that night from the bar. I think there's a lot more that, you know, in the wake of it and the steps that this family and he took and have taken to show that he was contrite and have been determined to do since then, I think is is relevant here as we're going forward in a very important subject. And as we were talking to him, Bruce, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm not sure I've ever heard this perspective before. Maybe I've seen a quote in a story from the parent in this situation, but I've certainly never heard the voice of a, a father. And you'll hear him get all emotional about what, you know, just, just recalling the the moment this happened in 2015. Um, you know, I think for us in the media, you know, especially somebody like him who hadn't played yet at, at college, it's just, you know, the name, you hear the name and then you see the headlines and you never really hear about, um, I mean, the impact, obviously there's a, uh, the first person you think of is the victim and the impact it must have on her and the family, but you don't think about necessarily how it impacts his family. So I think it's an important topic that we're getting into and I hope that uh, people get something out of it. All right. And with that, let's get to our guest. Earl, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah. So let, let's get back to that horrific incident from the bar that night. When you find out your son did that, what goes through your mind? Um, I think my first, it was disbelief. It was a lot of hurt. It was anger. And... And also at the same time, just wanting to find out what happened, you know, I mean, how could I help him? Because I know this was this was devastating because I knew what went into the process of him reaching and obtaining his goal of going to his dream school. So it was it was devastating. So from there, we should point out right up top, he's done a lot to go visit uh, batter women's shelters and speak out at a bunch of different places, you know, to camps and clinics, to, to high school, uh, even, even, I guess, colleges, uh, about what he did. So what was the process that you kind of 
get going forward? Obviously, we mentioned at the top before you came on that he, he had a very public apology when he sits down with Michael Strahan on Good Morning America. So what do you do then to try to begin to hopefully make it right or make it at least better? Um, I'm going to try to... Um... I'm gonna try to hold myself together because um, it, it still hurts. <sighs> okay, I think um, the first thing that that we really, and I believe was the most important thing and the most important part of the process, was that um, we had to have him admit. You know, we had to have him admit that he made a mistake. He used poor judgment and, you know, that he can't move forward until he acknowledges, you know, the key facts in that process. And that's probably that um, he needed to apologize to the person that he hurt. And I mean, um, it, it takes a really big person to admit when we're wrong, regardless of what prompted our actions, you know, that we were wrong. And that's one thing we wanted him to understand. You know, we wanted him to understand that, um, you know, that we loved him, you know. And I can't stress enough, you know, that word, you know, when something like this and so devastating has happened, it, it, it's, it's real vital, you understand, and, and it's essential. That that DeAndre knew without a doubt, and that he knew that that we still loved him. You know, I mean, we did we didn't approve of his actions because we raised him much better than that. But he had to know that we still loved him, <laughs> and that this was going to it, it was going to take a toll, and it took a toll on everyone in the process. You know. <sighs> just to like rebuild him back up, you know, because I mean, you know, you know, life has, you know, it teaches you many lessons. And one of them is, is that failure is not the end of the road. You know, so we have to, we have to, we have to get him and help him to realize that this isn't the end of the road, you know, and because he made a bad choice and a bad mistake, you know, we didn't want him to give up on his dreams. You know, we wanted him to know that he, he could still obtain them. You know, we tried to surround him with, like, great family, friends, uh, mentors. Uh, we have we have great pastors. You know, his pastor was there for him. Um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Ron Kirsten, is a sports psychologist. He was there. So we had to, like, we had to build him up. You know, we have to build them up physically, mentally, spiritually. Like, I, 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 like we had made up a slogan in the process, and we called it PMS. And, you know, now I ain't talking about that kind of PMS. You know, but the, the, you know, the PMS was, you know, we're going we gonna to work on your physical, mental, and spiritual. You know, so like, so spiritually... You know, we had to do a lot of work with him, you know, and I think the most natural thing that you want to do is go into hiding. I mean, you know, you pretty much, you almost want to like, 
you almost want to sequester yourself away from people and the world. So, so what we really have to do is just get out. You know, so so to speak, we have to get back. We have to really get him back on the horse. You know, we have to become more passionate. You know about the mission that we was on. You know, and I mean, I, and I say this to anybody. It don't matter whatever your mission is. You know, I mean, whatever the mission is for you. You know, and and ours was to make sure that he didn't he didn't go into like a, a depression and that he wanted to continue going to college and pursue his dream of earning the degree. And, you know, and quite naturally, you know, one of our stipulations was that he probably needed to take some time off from sports, you know, and, and, and concentrate on himself. But we also want him to understand that by no means, you know, did we want him to forget about his dreams or his goals, you know, and just wanted to continue working on his, his, his mentality, you know. You know, and this is where we have to really make sure that we helped him to hold up and, and don't and don't go into a deep depression, you know. So that's where we worked with a lot of, you know, therapists and and just try to get him to understand his actions and understand the pain, you know, that he was going through and understand the pain and the hurt, you know, that the person that he hurt was experiencing, you know, and, and to be honest with you, I think a lot was, you know, you know, our family, our friends, you know, his peers, you know, they also heard it too, you know. So we just, you know, we just had like a lot of private sessions, you know, we would just talk about things and try to sort out things, sort out emotions with him. And I mean, DeAndre is not a a real emotional person. He's more of an introvert. And I think in this process, it helped him to be more, it helped him to open up more, you know, because, you know, we had our pastor bias by our side, so we did a lot of things spiritually, you know, and I'm not trying to like to Bible beat anyone, you know, but to be honest, man, it was, it was our faith that played a huge part in the whole, in our recovery. And I think it was, I think it's just important that your child knows, you know, that he's a child of God and, you know, and God wants you to, and him to be happy and successful in life. And just cause you go through some bad things, you know, you know, or you may fail, but that doesn't mean that God is done with you. You know, I think he's just telling you that just maybe not right now, you know, so, you know, that was pretty much, you know, the process and just a lot of family and things like that. You know, and I'm sorry for getting emotional. Well, we understand, and, and Earl, I, I, we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about something that's still obviously very difficult to talk about. I have a question for you, and unfortunately, I think it may uh, raise more emotions, but I think it's important for right. people who, yes. you know, who've never been through this to understand. When something like this happens in college football uh, and it becomes a big national headline, people who've never, who never previously heard of your son, who only know his name from this, render a lot of judgment, uh, you know, and I assume there was kind of a firestorm in that, you know, obviously for him to go on national television, it shows what a firestorm it was. When you're seeing this and hearing this reaction, you know, I know you're 
balancing the fact that you know he did something wrong, but I got to imagine it's very hard to hear strangers question your son's character and integrity. How do you deal with that? Um, it's just because I think it's just that from, from early on in the process, yeah, we did a lot of just trying to understand this process and how things go and um, that, you know, I mean, you you might run into some bad times, you know, but you just got to take it and deal with it head on. Man, I'm not going to lie to you, man. It hurt it. It hurt me to see my son on every talk show in America, people talking about him. It hurts me now to see people, you know, uh, say, well, he's coming back. But, you know, in my opinion, he never left because DeAndre never stopped going to school. You know, he graduated. He got his, He's got a degree already. And he left Florida State one week, and the next week he was in another school. You know, so it, it just hurts me to hear people speak so negative, negatively about him that don't really know him. And But at the same time, I understand. And But to answer your question, it does bother you and it hurts. But, you know, like I said, I mean, we have to lean back on our faith because, you know, it may sound, you know, like a quote you hear every day, but it's true. You know, God doesn't put any more on you than you are able to withstand. So we have to trust in that, trust in the Lord and this whole process. Earl, so when he gets to East Mississippi, he does not play football that first year. Uh, can you tell us some of the things that both the school as well as your family, you know, felt like he needed to do to take those steps forward in terms of the outreach, whether it was, you know, uh, going to visit, you know, battered women's shelters or, or speaking out and how quickly did he do it? And how often did he go to speak, uh, about his, his, not only his mistake, but also what it did to him and trying to help others maybe learn from what happened with him. Well, one thing, um, when we went to East Mississippi and I want to, I, I just really, you know, like to say that I am very grateful that he went there very grateful for Dr. Tom Hubner, Coach Stevens, uh, Coach Clint, Clint Trickett, because from the beginning, they kind of, you know, I, I thought it would be just like, hey, we want to hear for football. He's a great quarterback. But I think they, in the beginning, they kind of understood that he had to do some work on himself. So it, it kind of fit right in with our vision that we wanted for him. It was almost like God answered the prayer. You know, so um, they were great with setting up things. And um, Coach Stevens and um, the president was, was, was right along. We all insisted that maybe you give football a break. And and um, they set up a lot of things. You know, he did anger management. Um, he visited um, domestic violence shelters. He did camps with kids. He spoke on the campus. Um, um, he met some nice people there in the cafeteria that, that – took him to church and, you know, so it, it was, it, it, it was pretty um, well structured. And at the same time, he also knew, which was something that we never had a problem with DeAndre was that he had to maintain great grades and he did everything and he, he embraced the whole situation. I'm very proud of him. Now, I know part of the, uh, of the process going on, as we mentioned at the top, he's now uh, going to play for FAU and as you mentioned, Clint Trickett, who was his quarterback coach at East Mississippi, and now Clint is actually the tight ends coach at FAU. But before that, 
his his older brother Travis was the offensive coordinator at FAU, and that was on the previous staff before Lane Kiffin got there. I know, and I, I think this is a rather unusual step for a typical recruit. Uh, the president of the junior college sent a very long, detailed letter, not just vouching for for the player, but sent it to the president of of FAU. And some of the you know the details in there were talking about not just him being a model student and engaging and bright and well read, but just really the the steps they took. To, to make sure he was doing well, and this person talking about the relationships that DeAndre had established. Uh, did you ever wonder, because I believe FAU was the only FBS program coming out of junior college that had offered him a scholarship. Did you ever wonder, hey, you know, no matter how good of a football player he was, and I think he was Mr. Football in the state of Florida a couple of years ago, that he had too much quote-unquote baggage for somebody else maybe to take? Yes, and... um I, I worried, I wondered, but I mean, there was a few schools behind the scenes that didn't want to say, you know, um, that would, you know, they wanted to like, um, would just hold on. We're trying to get through the process because, you know, as, 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 as I've come to find out, DeAndre's come to find out, and then we all have come to know that this is a very serious process and they are taking it very, very serious. And even though, um, you know, DeAndre's was a misdemeanor, um, they're still coming. They're, it's going to be hard, even on misdemeanors. And this is something that 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 has to get better. That these kids and everyone, we all have to be aware that you know violence against women is not going to be accepted in this society. And we just have to do and go through what we have to go through, you know, till we get to the point where you know this is not a problem anymore. So um, at at that stage, I kind of understood. I kind of expected it because I was keeping my eyes on things. And um, maybe if they didn't tweak a few things, um, DeAndre could have, you know, went to a numerous amount of schools, but they kind of tweaked it. And um, so that told me that they're, you know, they're getting very serious or doing what they claim of extreme vetting. And, um, but I also would like to say that I think that just like anything in this world, you know, one mistake should not, define anybody you know this is a world you know we come from a god that's a god of a not just a second chance another chance and another chance and i'm pretty much speaking about me and my life you know and i think we need not to forget that because especially we're dealing with young kids and these kids you know it's very important that you know that we that we teach them and and that we show them love too, you know, not just because they made a mistake. Let's just shut them out to the world. I mean, and we all know there's a lot more people, and there's people in higher places that's probably done a lot more things than some of these kids are doing. You know, I think coaches get second chances. I mean, why not these kids? And I know I say all kids. Some some things, you know, we understand, but I think we need to loosen up a bit as far as. If these children go through these quote unquote so called process and they're extremely remorseful and doing things to work on it, so let's give them a chance, another chance, because we have so much going on in this world and kids are just doing so much things and you you don't know if you take something from a kid, especially a minority kid a minority kid, you know, if if they could just go the other way, you know, and not all kids have a um a strong foundation like DeAndre had, you know, a good spiritual background, two parents that 
that they we might not be married or together, but we we co-raise our children together. We we work together. You know, we listen to each other, and as far as to help and do what's good for them. So, I think, and I understand, you know, what you were saying, your question, but I think they should, you know, still consider that these are just young kids too. You know, eighteen, seventeen, nineteen years old, and I. I I don't know too many people in this world that haven't made a mistake or haven't had to have a second chance. So when he commits to FAU, you had no idea, no way of knowing at the time that there would be a coaching change and that they'd bring in Lane Kiffin, who has had a lot of success coaching quarterbacks, but is also obviously a very controversial figure. Um, Did you have any reservations about him going there uh, once Lane was hired? No, to be honest with you, DeAndre was going to go there whether Lane Kiffin came or whether he didn't go, come, okay? Because once we met, because and let me and let me be let me tell you, FAU did a extreme vetting on 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 DeAndre. They they reached out into our community here in Jacksonville, you know, all the way up into Florida State. I mean, East Mississippi, um, uh, his pastor. And I, I really felt good about them and the fact that they understood what he did was, was horrendous. But they also understood that he was a young man that through their vetting system seemed to be a model that we can probably give a second chance to. So, like I was saying, um, whether Lane Kiffin came or not, I think DeAndre would have went. And when, once I saw that, because, I mean, DeAndre had a career in, um, I think, what DeAndre was, he was All-American, he was undefeated. Uh, I think he was like the number two or number one player in certain categories coming out of um, Juco Junior College that he could have went to any school. But once I saw that, what was going on, and, and certain coaches would tell us, you know, what was going on. But um, I, I prayed to God that God would just give us the school. And and, and, and that God, he done just exceeding there more. You know, he, he gave us the school and also brought us the coach. We didn't have to go to the coach. He brought the coach to us. Earl, when you talked about, you know, how he showed he was remorseful and, and the things he's doing, I know that, you know, he had apologized to the victim, of you know, from the bar that night. Is he still committed to going out and speaking and talking to especially younger athletes, but also just younger students and young younger men about, what about his path and, and what he did that night and how he's learned from it? Yeah, I think that's going to be um, a passion. It's, it's going to be something, and I believe that's that's his um, that's his his that's his, his his mission is to speak on this subject and to let young people know. And it don't matter, you know, whether he he he's able to move on to the NFL or not. He's still this is going to be a passion. This is going to be his platform and. It just depends on, you know, how high it goes. But I know one of the things that the school has, things that they want to do with him, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm not privy to speak on that because, you know, they, you know, that's theirs, but things that me and his mom and his brother and um, some people in our circle, you know, we want to um, do a camp um, in Boca for, for the kids, you know, you know, a quarterback camp and um, and maybe take that opportunity where DeAndre could speak to some of the some of the kids and some of the parents. And um, that's something that we want to do. I, he was invited this week by the um, the opening, Brian Stump, to 
come down to Miami Saturday and speak to um to the to the kids at the camp. But that's something I I need to have checked out because you know I don't want to get caught up in any kind of um violations or things like that. But it's just a matter of him driving down and speaking because that's where I really want him speaking to some of these elite athletes, these kids that's getting ready to go into college. Speak about it and talk about his situations and let them know all the accolades of um, uh, breaking Tim Tebow's records and Mr. Football and All-American. It don't mean nothing if you make a mistake. It all could be just taken away from you in six seconds. So he wants to apologize to her in person. You know, it's one thing for him to apologize over TV and um you know, we know that she's moved on to a, you know, to a different school. And um, hopefully in the near future, you know, he would love to meet with her and apologize to her. And he's even talked about maybe we could do something together, Dad. I said, maybe that might be be nice. And, you know, I've, I've heard because they did a, a story here in Jacksonville with her and him. And she comes from some really nice parents. And her parents, you know, from what I've heard and from what I've seen, they don't hate DeAndre. She doesn't hate DeAndre. So I'm hoping that maybe these two young people can get together because, you know, let's not forget her. You know, she's she went through a lot, you know, and it was bad on her family, too. All right, Earl. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, it's a very emotional subject, and we appreciate you sharing your experience as well as going forward. Uh, I think we should also... You know, it's worth noting DeAndre has got a younger brother who is a big recruit in the 2018 class, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. Sir. So you'll be going through Tyreek Johnson. Tyreek, and you'll be going through the recruiting process. Or you probably already are going through the re- recruiting process again with him. Yeah, I was just out with him yesterday. He just got invited to the Nike opening in Oregon, and that's something that DeAndre did as well. And so um, I'm kind of glad to just wrap this up and, you know, taking kids to school every morning for the last six years, picking them up and, you know, or his mom picking them up and taking them, you know, just want to do some, some different things, sit back and enjoy them at the next level. Well, as Bruce said, Earl, we really appreciate it. I know it was extremely difficult to come on here and talk about it, so we can't thank you enough for coming on. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate y'all allowing us this platform. Thanks, Earl. I wasn't kidding, Bruce, when I said to him how much we appreciated him coming on and doing this because it had to be uh, extremely difficult. And I learned a lot from that. You know, I, I guess I said, as I said before the interview, I never really heard that perspective in a story like this before. Yeah, and it's it's a very sobering subject. And I think that, you know, again, it's one perspective. And I, and I think we talked about this a lot during the year as it relates to Joe Mixon. But for a lot of people, when somebody has done something horrific – and especially if there's video of it, that is the incident that will forever define them. And I think in, you know, in this case, he is trying to make it as positive as he can and try to impact other people in a positive way. And you remember when the, when the news came out in December that, about him signing with FAU and people didn't realize at the time that he had been committed there already and that it wasn't Lane Kiffin necessarily going out and pursuing him, but it immediately became oh, look at Lane Kiffin, look what he's doing, you know, he's already creating controversy, he's going out and signing a kid who, you know, was was found guilty of violence against a woman. So, um, obviously, it turns out, as you heard in the interview, he was going to go there regardless. But 
it just shows you, you know, as soon as the name comes up, like you said, it's still associated with him. Um, as we turn our attention to current college football, so Lane was the Alabama offensive coordinator, and then Sark was very briefly. Nick Saban has now hired his full-time replacement for this coming season, and it's a guy who, frankly, I don't think college football fans are all that familiar with. No, it's, uh, you know, he was once a former Nick Saban grad assistant at Michigan State. His, he is Brian Dayball, who is really, that was the last time he worked in college football, and that was almost 20 years ago. And like, you know, a lot of other guys who, you know, the Saban tree is related to, to Bill Belichick, and that's really where Brian Dayball spent a bunch of time on the Patriots staff. Uh, he was most recently their tight ends coach. He has been an offensive coordinator in the NFL uh, three different times. You know, his, the teams all struggled, it should be noted, uh, when he was with the Browns and the Chiefs and the, uh, and the Dolphins. And so if you're, a, if you're an Alabama fan, I think you just got to trust, hey, Nick Saban knows what he's doing here. And, you know, because it's, you know, again, it's not like he hired a guy who had a ton of success or is known as some kind of offensive guru or someplace else. Well, I think we're seeing him go back from, uh, you know, I mean, both Giffen and Sarkeesian did not necessarily fit the profile of his more anonymous offensive coordinators before that. And I think we're seeing him go back to that here with a guy who is not necessarily, I mean, he, he wanted Lane and, and Lane did kind of reinvent his offense. I wouldn't expect that that's what he's expecting here. Uh, basically, I would assume that it's going to be, you know, pick up where we left off and, and keep doing what's working. Yeah, and it's a guy, who, you know, has minimal. I think he was the Jets quarterback coach, you know, for a couple of years. But he's not like he's really been a quarterback's guy. Um, well, in particular, I don't see how he has the experience I mean, by the end, while Lane has an NFL and West Coast offense background, you know, certainly this past year with Jalen Hurts, it was much more of a what you've come to see from college offenses with the quarterback run game. And I just can't imagine he having spent all this time in the NFL where they still very much frown on the quarterback run game that he would have much of any experience with it. Yeah, we'll see how it unfolds. Now, you know, who does have a lot of experience with the quarterback run game is Mike Loxley who is on that staff and is a, co- a co-offensive coordinator, and I would guess he would be pretty involved in that. This is interesting to see how it, how it plays out because, you know, for college folks, you know, we just don't know much about Brian Dayball. Did you know his name when you first saw that they had hired him? Did you know that name? I did. Clearly not following me on Twitter, Stu. I was the one who reported they were interviewing him last week, so. Um, I guess I missed that amidst the more <laughs> high-profile names that you were reporting like Chip Kelly and, and Mark Helfrich. No, this was last Monday. So that was when the name really took on some traction. Well, I got to admit, I'm going in cold here. So I'm open, being open-minded, and we'll see how he does. But certainly this is not its not Helfrich. It's not one of these guys that we're used to seeing on the college level. That hurts, man. You're really upset that I missed this tweet. <laughs> Twitter moves fast. You don't read FoxSports.com. I did a story on it, man. Jesus. Okay, okay, sorry. Okay. All right, and also this Monday morning that we're recording this, uh, Boston College announces that Brad Bates has, is going to step down as AD in June to go work for a search firm. By the way, that will be yet another BCAD that works for a search firm. Gene DiFilippo is, is also doing that. And uh, speaking of him, I mean, 
so you look at BC Athletics. I don't think that's a school we, we talk about much now, and there's a reason for that. They pretty much stink in every high-profile sport, but that didn't used to be the case. I mean, it's not surprising that he would be on his way out, given his, his athletic department is just in dire straits right now. But man, how did this happen? Let's retrace our steps here, because I'm thinking back to around 2006, 2007-ish, BC had just joined the ACC. And they had was Matt having... Ryan. They were beating Virginia Tech on a Thursday mm-hmm. night. You remember that game? Oh, yeah. And they were number two in the country at that point in time. They were in the running for the BCS championship game until they uh, lost shortly after that. And then in basketball, and this goes back a little bit to me covering them in the Big East tournament when they're still in the Big East, Al Skinner had a great run with guys like Jared Dudley and uh, Craig Smith. They were... I remember they were the number one seed in the eight, in the Big East tournament one year when the Big East was, you know, UConn, Syracuse, all these behemoths. So now they can barely win an ACC basketball game. And there was a stat that uh, our friend John Solomon on CBS put up earlier that's really uh, stunning. You want me to read it to you? Oh, you have it? Go ahead. I do. Uh, so in BC, and it's, I don't call it their only main sports because BC has always been really good in hockey too. Mm-hmm. But in... Uh, the men's basketball, women's basketball, and football since 2015-16, Boston College is eight and seventy in ACC play. Wow, that is brutal. Um, and Steve Adazio, who in four years is three games under five hundred overall, is ten and twenty-two in the ACC. Yeah, I feel like football must be responsible for much of those eight wins, right? Not really. I mean, they were pretty. I mean, bad. they did go to a bowl game this year and win a bowl game. Yeah. Um, Boston College this year is uh, two and twelve in ACC play in basketball, and and I believe they were yes they were zero and eighteen last year. So they the won three games in the ACC in football this year. So they were three and five. Here's who their wins were this year: Maryland, Wake Forest, UConn. NC State, Buffalo, Wagner, and UMass. No, they weren't a good team. Let's not. I mean, they, they, that's ultimate proof you can get to a bowl game without beating anybody. Good. And that was after going three and nine last year. So I feel like the moment things turned south for BC was that really because who was the coach? Nobody remembers this now. Jeff who, Jagodzinski. Jeff Jagodinski was the coach of that Matt Ryan team you're talking about, and then. I believe Matt Ryan was gone the next year, and they were still pretty good. They played they won the, nine and five. Played in the ACC title game back to back years, and then Gene DiFilippo fired him just for interviewing for an NFL job. It was how dare you go flirt with another job and fired him? Can you imagine if every coach was held to that standard? And it's been a rough, rough run ever since. And you can't blame it on going up to the from the Big East to the ACC, per se, because in their first four years in the ACC, they won 39 games. Mm-hmm. So the question is, was that the bar that BC should be striving for and anything short of that is beneath them? Or was that one of those runs that maybe was deceiving and that BC is going to have an awful heart? I mean, obviously, they want to be better than they are now. But is it realistic that they'll be a contender in the ACC? They're in a division with Florida State and Clemson and Louisville. One of my best friends was a, was an athlete at BC, and once a year I'd always go up to a to a game up there. I you know I thought it was a very cool place to go to college. It's obviously a great education and a great city to go to college in. The thing I'd always heard there is they expect to be really good once every four years to have a run at maybe ten wins. Mm-hmm. 
And then around there, they figured they'd win maybe eight or nine. And then the other year, maybe be a six and six year. Like they would have a run, you know, be great once every four years and then be pretty good the other ones. The problem is now they've been pretty much mediocre ever since Jeff Jagodzinski left. Yeah. But here's the thing. So you would think it'd be very hard to recruit great players there. But think about over the last 10 years or so, some of the high round, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, first round picks that have come out of there, Matt Ryan and... This is starting in 2000, well, it's starting in 2006. Matthias Kiwanuka was a first-round pick. Matt Ryan. Goster Cherilis, I do not remember him. Yeah, he was a, I think he was an Indianapolis kid. BJ like Raji, Anthony Costanzo, Luke Keekley. You know what those all have in common, Stu? I would bet none of those guys were more than three-star guys. They were all really good evaluations. Luke Keekley, Notre Dame didn't want. Anthony Costanzo was way undersized and then I think ended up at a prep school. Uh, BJ Raji, I want to say, is from New Jersey. and Maybe it's either him or Ron Brace. I'm getting confused. It was another you know, defensive tackle there. But they were really under the radar recruits who did really well there. And yeah, developed. and that's the formula. And so the question is, can that formula be replicated? But... Um, we're going to start first, obviously, by seeing who the new AD is. And that's significant in that that person will probably decide Steve Adazio's fate. Right. Hey, before we go, uh, on the last podcast last week, um, we had a couple of consumer complaints. Well, we had at least one consumer complaint. I don't know what that means. What is consumer complaints? We had some listener feedback. There's some Michigan fans who were upset that when we were talking about at the time, Michael Johnson was still presumed to be going to Michigan. By the way, when you say it, I keep thinking of the Olympic sprinter. I always think of him as Mike Johnson. Okay. Well, Mike Johnson, they were upset that we didn't actually mention any of his qualifications, that he was an NFL uh, coordinator, and, and that maybe people were getting the impression that they had just plucked Joe Schmo off the street because he has a really good quarterback right. son. So, yes, obviously we should have mentioned that it's not like this was, wasn't a guy that would be qualified to work at a college football program. We apologize for that. I do feel like a little of this, though, is blowback from whatever the fine bomb stuff is. I went back and listened to our podcast because I saw some Michigan people because obviously it was it was news I had reported, you know, subsequent to that. And I mentioned that his son was a 2019 quarterback in the story. But again, in this kind of, you know, I kind of was like, whatever fine bomb, whatever else was set out there, um, Here's the thing. When we brought it up, honestly, you have to understand, this time of year, we are scrounging for anything to talk about. And uh, we brought it up, and we were both kind of apathetic about that topic. And we were like, and I asked you, like, do you think this is unethical? And you're like, no. I'm like, me neither. Not a big deal. And then the very next day is the infamous tweet heard around the world calling out Feinbaum, where at first I was like, what is this about? Where is this coming from? I know Feinbaum's been... You know, made it had some shtick recently about making fun of Michigan fans, but what, what's the Harbaugh connection here? And only to find out that he went on outside the lines and called him a cheater, said he was cheating, which is a much different reaction to that story than you and I had. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. I get why Michigan fans or some of them would be sensitive to it. Uh, the story, as we were discussing it, though, really had more to do with the rule. Yeah, the rule itself. Um, that's why it was a story to me, is that. It coincides with them probably, possibly implementing this rule that would basically make that impossible to do going forward. Which brings up an interesting question, right? Like, as we said, he's perfectly qualified to work for a college football staff. Should he be precluded from that just because he, his son is coming up, you know, is, a, is a, going to be a high school junior? I don't know. 
It's an interesting topic. And also, I think it is different in the case of this guy who, let's be honest, to go from a, an NFL coordinator and a college coordinator to a receivers coach, it's not like, you know, it's not the opposite or whatever. So this is different than, hey, we're hiring a, a high school coach who, while they may be good coaches, has never worked at that level before. Right. So the only other thing I would mention is we had a talk at the end about journalism and, and breaking into journalism. And I mean, the entry point was, did you actually learn anything from your college classes or did you learn it all out on the field? And we were very both adamant about, yeah, it's out on the field. Okay. Coincidentally, our friends, Andy Stables and Lindsay Schnell had a podcast where, and this was, you know, give credit to Andy for his outside the box ideas. He decided to devote an entire episode to analyzing the movie Necessary Roughness. You remember that, I'm sure. I do. It's Kathy Ireland's yeah. finest work. They went, they went hardcore uh, with Dan Rubenstein, analysis of necessary roughness. And in the course of that, they're talking about blow-off classes uh, like the ones in that movie. And they're fully admitting that they skipped class and took easy classes just like we did. And I'm just concerned because I know we have some overlapping listeners there. And we must, I assume, have some young listeners and that we are just not sending the right message here. So I just want to say to all of our younger listeners who may be in high school still or in college, go to class. Stay in school. Go to class. Take your school I'm not going to be seriously. a hypocrite still. You, t- you, t- you, you preach, but I'm a... Well, just don't do what we said, basically. Uh, I don't want to be corrupting America's youth right here. I'm guessing if you graduated, you probably were much more diligent about it. Well, where I was really diligent was in high school. I mean, I worked much harder academically in high school to get into a school like Northwestern than I did once I actually got there, which is a lot of, by the way, you hear that about Stanford sometimes too, that it's harder to get into than the actual school is. Oh man, at least one of our listeners isn't going to kill me for saying that. Anyway. uh, (laughs) I know which one. Also, it depends on your major. The engineering students work their ass off in college at Northwestern. Maybe the liberal arts, not as much. Did you ever cheat in school? No, but my formula was this. Seriously, did you ever cheat in school? No, I didn't. But this is what I, my formula was, you know, I would take whatever class was, psychology, sociology, whatever, like just go to the library two nights before, night before the exam, cram the heck out of it, do well on the test. And then that stuff just went right out of my head. Like it went in for two days and then it left forever. I do feel a little bit guilty now that I kind of wasted this opportunity, right? I went to a very acclaimed university and I just did not take advantage of what it had to offer academically. But at the same time, like it just didn't like sociology, psych, those classes weren't going to impact where my chosen field. So that was my thinking at the time. I thought my time was spent and, and I do still think my time was spent more in more valuable fashion. You know, I would be at the school paper till one in the morning every night putting that thing out. But, you know, that prepared me for today. Mm. All right. I'm not going back down that road. Go to class. Even if Bruce won't won't say so. No, I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. I'm not going to say screw up and do everything that I did. I'm just not going to try to tell you to do stuff that that I know I didn't do. So. Go to class and get good grades because honestly, I'm not sure if whether any of our jobs are going to exist five years from now. This field that you might be trying in to get format, into, yes. yeah, it might not exist. So you might want to have a fallback option in case you want to go work for a consulting company or tech or whatnot, maybe might be good to have that 3.5 on your resume. Yes, and I will give my own piece of advice. If you have a car and you're commuting to class or something, then you're going to approach a light where if it means go left, you're going to have to go to some philosophy class that's required. Where you go right means you get to go home. If the light is green, don't do that. Just just go to your philosophy class. <laughs> Listen to the BS. Yeah. 
try to get a good grade just in case you need it for something else in life. All right. As always, you can send your emails because we'll be doing emails in the next episode to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Let us know what kind of guests you'd like to hear from as we continue to go through this offseason. Obviously, our last couple have been a little unconventional. Hopefully, you've enjoyed it. But yeah, let us know what kind of guests you'd like to hear from. And subscribe to the Audible. If you haven't done so already, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.